This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome in to Seattle Sports at Night. You got me and Jake today, fresh from Seahawks training camp. I'm pleased to report that I didn't get sunburned. It was a good day. I did. I certainly got sunburned, but it was great, though. It was good to get out in the sun. It was hot out there. Beautiful, beautiful day out on the VMAC. And I'll tell you what, Stacey, there is no better place in the NFL to have NFL training camp than the VMAC. It is as hot as it was today. Uh, You think about everywhere else, it is either hotter, it is either more humid, and you're not right there on the water where you get that nice breeze coming in. I mean, it's just at one, it's a beautiful place to practice, and two, it is the most friendliest place to practice in terms of the environment. So all around, there's not a better place to be during this time of year, and uh, obviously there's a lot of excitement that you have in terms of this team, and, and you love the the youth, the intensity, the environment that, mm-hmm. that's out there, and, and gosh, I cannot wait to see this just continue to develop because in, in really four practices, Stacey, You've, I think we've learned a lot about this team so Doesn't far. Doesn't it seem like it's been more than that already? It, it it's been, re- this it really is our does. fourth practice. Yeah, it really does. And and if you think about it, they're going to have their scrimmage coming up on Saturday, uh-huh. right? And and we'll be live we'll be live streaming that on seven ten sports dot com. So that'll be really fun to to check out if mm-hmm. if you're listening to that. Um, but just all through this, I think you're seeing a lot of young guys grow up really really fast, and there's still a lot to figure out from this group. But overall. You talk to the guys, you talk to the coaches around the VMAC, you talk to the players, and man, there is a ton of excitement about one another and how they're playing together. And and just, you know, you look at vets and they're like, man, I can't wait to watch this guy in particular and watch him develop and grow and see what he's all about. And, And so from that aspect, I think this is a really cool time for Seattle Seahawks fans, and it might not be as star studded and star powered Mm -hmm. as we've been used to in the past, but. To me, you're looking at a group that's evolving and changing, and you should be excited about that. It's almost, I don't want to say a fresh slate, because you, you didn't need to to get rid of anything. I mean, there are plenty of fans of uh, former iterations of this team. Nothing wrong with it whatsoever. So, right. But just the best thing I can think of is just kind of a fresh slate. It's You don't quite know what the identity of this team is going to be yet, and it's so interesting. I feel like it's the first year that I've been covering them where I'm heading in thinking, man, I really, there's so many unanswered questions. And, and yeah, that makes any team nervous mm-hmm. when you think about it, but it also makes for selfishly some really interesting stories when you start thinking about there could be guys that no one thinks are going to make this roster that make it. There could be yep. guys that have some breakout years. There could be guys that push for starting roles and challenge veterans. And uh, there could be, you know, Russell Wilson kind of taking the reins in a way he hasn't been able to before. So there's lots of room there for some really interesting stories to develop. Yes. Uh, and the Seahawks camp kicks off today's timeline. Let's get into it. Uh, lots of Seahawks news this weekend. I'm going to just backtrack a little bit for you guys. Bobby Wagner signed his contract extension. I think everyone was expecting it, but there you go, Jake. There you go. Let's go. $54 million. Million dollars. $54 million reasons to return to practice. Now, it's not as much overall as C.J. Mosley's deal with the Jets, nor is it as long, but it's more per year. Yes. Uh, and it makes sense. I think he's about two years older than C.J. Mosley, so he gets now $18 million per year. And guess what? He gets to keep 100% of it because yeah. he negotiated it all himself. And good for him. I think Bobby handled this first class all the way. And when you ta- when you heard him respond to questions about why did he do it, why did he go without the agent, I just love his answer in terms of, 
I just wanted to challenge. And I was like, to, no offense, agents. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just wanted to challenge. I wanted to show other players that you can do it. And and, I, and Bobby's not really a statement guy. He's yeah. not a guy that goes out of his way to try and make statements and make waves. But I thought this was a very cool answer by him. And he's the type of guy to handle that situation properly between John Schneider and Matt Thomas. Because I promise you, Stacy, it is not an easy negotiation in terms of how to handle this, oh, what you're going to hear back from your employers. Well, and and, those contracts can be like 30. 40 pages. It, right? Yeah, absolutely. They're so tiny Harry Potter books. Correct. It, 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 there's a lot of information. So you're trying to dive through that as a player. Obviously, you're getting help on the outside in terms of, uh, uh, you know, lawyers and things like that. Right. But, Maybe other players who have represented themselves. Yeah, correct. And so Bobby handled this the right way at first class. And so the, the part that I loved about it the most is one, that the deal got done, and two, that there were no rifts between the relationships of the Seahawks and Bobby Wagner, and that can easily happen in these cases. So good thing that Bobby's here. We got him locked up for four more years. You have the best inside linebacker in the game, yeah. and he's going to be your leader. He's going to be your main contributor on defense, and you can build around this guy for the next four years as you guys are trying to go after a Super Bowl. That is a huge win. I really do think it's all the more impressive when you consider that he's 29 years old. Yeah. 29 years old, handling this multi-million dollar deal himself. And as someone who Bobby would speak with us last year about, he got into this press conference kind of turned into him talking about meal prepping and his meal planning and eating the exact same thing every day. And basically saying that like the life and routine of being a multiple time pro bowler, multiple time all pro isn't exciting. It's going to bed at the same time. It's waking up super early. It's eating the exact same thing for breakfast. Yep. And so you have to think he took that same approach to doing this. And it's true. I really don't think a lot of people could do this. So yes, it does kind of change the dynamics of uh, self-representation for players, but it it's not like it's easy. I mean, he made it clear that it was tricky. Uh, from Pete Carroll's interview this morning with Brock and Salk, this is a bit interesting. He said defensive end Ziggy Ansa maybe is ahead of schedule. So there are some disclaimers. I think what he's saying is uh, whether or not he is, like, yeah, he looks good, but we aren't pushing him, and we aren't going to push him to come back. So I, I took that as, yeah, maybe he's ahead of schedule, but more importantly, there haven't been setbacks. Yeah, that, to me, that's the biggest news. If there hasn't been any setbacks, that's positive because for Ziggy Ansa, this is about when it's time, for whatever that timetable is, for Ziggy and the Seahawks that they originally set when they first signed him, they have a plan. They know when they want him to play, and whether that's it's just none what, of our business, right? What what that goal is, whether it's week one, week two, yeah. week three, whatever it is, they are shooting for that goal. And if Ziggy is is you know still if he's maybe ahead of schedule, they're still not going to push it because they need Ziggy Ansa to be healthy from the point that he comes back, right? The point that he comes back. They need him to continue to stay healthy through the season. So they're not going to rush this. Great news that he's sounding like he is ahead of schedule with his health. But let's go forward and make sure that Ziggy is is ready to go as soon as he touches the field. So to me, great news overall. You know, I skipped over this one a little bit when talking about news from the weekend. But the Seahawks signed defensive or defensive end, uh, defensive back Deshaun Shedd. Now he uh, kind of split between safety corner, spent a lot of time. Uh, at corner with Seattle from, what, 2012 to 16, 17? Yeah. Um, but they have him as a safety right now. So yes. sounds like that adds some more versatility, bring back a veteran there. I know we're going to 
get into him a bit later. Yes, I cannot. I am so fired up about them bringing back Deshaun Shedd. It's a huge signing, and I'll, I'll get into why that is, and, and you guys should definitely tune into that because this is a big signing for the Seahawks, and I know it comes off the heels of Lano Hill not being available, Marquise Blair not being available, mm-hmm. and the lack of depth there is right now in the secondary, but I think Deshaun Shedd is a great answer to all of this, and we'll get into why later on. Jake. Yes. The Mariners. Oh, the Mariners? Have won five straight games. Their series <laughs> against the Detroit Tigers included two walk-off wins and one insane throw by J.P. Crawford. Oh that gosh. I replayed for my roommate who is not a baseball fan. Not only is she not a baseball fan, she's like, I'd rather not. Like, I don't dabble in baseball. <laughs> uh, I played it for her, and she had me play it again. It, it defies logic, right, in terms of how your body's supposed to move. The fact that he was traveling into left field and he just contorts his body in the in the timing of when he throws, his body's still not even turned yet. It, it was an incredible throw and, and also love to see the fact that he came the last game of the series versus Detroit. Uh, he was 0 for 4 for the for the day and then comes out and hits the game winner. Uh, to me, that shows a lot of maturity, a lot of growth from a young player that you're hoping that is a part of this rebuild. So you're kind of seeing a guy emerge in J.P. Crawford in this moment, which is very cool. And and look, the Mariners, look, when they play some of the worst teams that are worse than them, they you know, have gotten the job done, hey. which is good to see. You're taking care of business when you're supposed look, to. You take the wins you can get. You Absolutely. guys, if there's anything I've learned in life. You just take the win where you can get it. And For the Mariners sure. took the win this weekend. Absolutely. So you got to revel in the uh, in the five-game win streak, and we'll see what the rest of it's like. But good for the Mariners. They're if you're Seattle. Fighting, they keep on. So. No, I agree. If you're Seattle, you certainly love to see that development from J.P. Crawford. Another young Mariner that could be getting some trade interest, though, Domingo Santana. So this is from MLB Network's John Heyman, who says he could be drawing interest from Cleveland and Tampa Bay. Uh, Jake, we have two days until the trade, de- trade deadline. If you're Jerry DePoto... Do you make the move? Well, it just obviously depends on what you get in return. That's true. But I think Domingo Santana is a guy that teams, it doesn't surprise me, are interested in him. He's he's a great bat. He showed that in right field he is a competent fielder. He's not an amazing fielder, but he's a competent fielder, and and he's a strong bat. So you're talking about he's still a young player. You still got club control on Domingo Santana. So... Uh, if you're a Cleveland or a Tampa Bay, sure, why not? Why not go for Domingo Santana and hope that you get a superstar? Just kind of like uh, the Mariners traded Cattell Marte two years ago. Maybe you get an all-star out of that situation. You never know. We never know, so we'll see. Why not you, Tampa Bay? Uh, <laughs> wrapping up the timeline with uh, two stories from the rest of the NFL. Le'Veon Bell tweets a long overdue apology to fantasy football owners. He's very sorry. The apology everyone was waiting for. Absolutely. To fantasy football owners. People were furious. And and the funny thing is I'm not I'm joking. waiting for I'm my apology sure from David Johnson. Were very upset. So, you know, Le'Veon be... disappointed a lot of fantasy owners that drafted you. They went out, they stuck their neck out, they were in their draft rooms, they were they were fighting and clawing with their scouts, and they went they went with you and you disappointed them just because of your contract negotiation. So very better, thoughtful to better tweet come that apology. through in a big way. But better late than never. Mm. Eh. Final one to wrap it up is Bengals wide receiver AJ Green carted off the field during practice, will likely miss the season opener against the Seahawks. To me, to me, this is this is a horrible situation because if you're the Bengals, you're going to somewhere that's not your practice facility, and you're you have your superstar receiver in AJ Green get hurt. If I'm an NFL team, I am doing everything that I can to make sure that the health of my players is first. 
is the first priority. And when you go and go to a different place, like the Seahawks, they're going to go to Pop Keeney Stadium here at Both- in Bothell. That place is is a great facility that you know is going to stand up. And, and where they went, it, unfortunately, the field wasn't in proper condition. Uh, and, and one of your players gets hurt for it. Uh, Jake and I are going to get into Seahawks training camps, the play of the day. Injury updates. There was one, not a ton. Uh, and kind of what we saw, what we liked, a bunch of takeaways. We'll see if we have the same ones. We'll see. I'm interested. That's next on Seattle Sports at Night. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. I am Seahawks insider Stacy Ross, joined here by Jake Heaps, the quarterback, the host. Man, the friend. I, yes. I, look, <laughs> it has been so weird. We had a, uh, let's see, we had a couple of texts come in saying, oh my gosh, the Seattle Sports Tonight is back on Mondays. Uh, Jake, you're back. Uh, we appreciate you, 253. Um, yeah, we're back. You know, I, Back I'm, in action. Back in action. The squad is back together. A little crazy of a uh, month of July, but we're uh, everybody's back. We're ready to go, so. Yeah, it's been a bit all over the place uh, with some of us filling in in uh, kind of day part roles. and uh, But otherwise, we try to go on after Mariners games. So it's just that, that 7 o'clock, the sweet 7 o'clock spot. That That's right. back in your ears. That is right. So we're excited to be back and ready to roll. So hope you guys are uh, ready to tune in for the next little while because we'll be here consistently now and, and uh, excited about you know, being back on Seattle Sports at night. So. I'm actually really excited, and I was looking forward to the live shows that uh, we would have in kind of late July, August, specifically because it would give us a chance to. We spend months kind of hypothesizing about the Seahawks and talking about what we think will happen. <laughs> and it's like, well, now we actually have shows where we can talk about what we saw at camp. Exactly, exactly. So that's why this is such a fun time. And and going off of that, Stacey, I mean, we've got some – Pretty strong training camp takeaways, so I, I don't the think strongest, we should waste but any more time. But who's is stronger? Well, I mean, let me go for mine first. Okay, let's Ladies let's do first. that. Ladies first. Uh, I'm going to uh, let you guys know now that I know that training camp is kind of like a wide receiver showcase, right? Especially with uh, they were just in shoulder pads today. They aren't expected to put on full pads until tomorrow. So uh, DK Metcalf is going to look like you would expect DK Metcalf to look. That being said, he looked really great today, and I think if you're a Seahawks fan, you should be very intrigued by that. It completely makes sense why Brock and Salk had him at number one on their most intriguing Seahawks list. Uh, He made a play today. He made a couple plays, but one in particular that reminded me of, and hold your criticism, like a Jimmy Graham, Brennan Marshall, because one of the things that, whatever you have to say about those two, (laughs) one of the things that they have as just a skill that's nearly impossible to find is that speed, size, strength combination Mm -hmm. that is just incredibly rare. And DK Metcalf has that. And he was running down the sideline. I don't know if it was Akeem King or Trey Flowers, draped all over him, still hauled in the pass. And I remember... Uh, Trey Flowers last year talking about covering Brandon Marshall, I'm pretty sure, um, and saying that there are just some guys that are not only because Brandon Marshall is a six-time Pro Bowler. Granted, he didn't stay with Seattle, but still, you have to respect what he's capable of, especially in a training camp, but that there are guys that are just impossible to cover, and that's why Seattle ultimately made this pick, because he doesn't have to be the fastest guy on the field. He doesn't have to be uh, insanely 
Doug Baldwin-esque quickness off the line of scrimmage. Right. Because if you get the right matchup, he's going to win. Yeah, and that's the part where you have to love it if you're Russell Wilson, right? Like, you're you're looking at DK Metcalf, and, and he's lined up at that X receiver position majority mm-hmm. of the time, and, and that is a position that, that warrants one-on-one matchups through the course of a game. And if you feel confident that you've got a guy who can consistently win, and I'll tell you this, you know, DK has really – come out uh, he has worked hard in the offseason and and I think in these last three days I think he's proved uh, you know the the fact that he's continued to develop not just you know be a OTA's uh, you know warrior and, and yeah. be a guy that that flashes when when the pads aren't on so he's I think he's proven he's he's better than just that so that's very exciting I think the other thing that really stood out to me uh, is when you look at um, this offensive roster, you're going to have a lot of interesting decisions to be made in terms of the tight end room. Ed Dixon has been playing really good football over the last four practices. Mm. Um, a guy that I know hasn't been talked about a ton uh, compared to everybody else, but he has made some great catches. Russ has great trust in him down the middle of the field. Um, and so Ed Dixon has been showing very well for himself. Jacob Hollister has been doing great. Uh, Nick Vanette has, has looked very sharp. Um, and Will Disley is obviously just coming back from that injury. So the tight end, the tight It'll end, will be an group interesting has, battle. Yeah, ha, has looked really strong. Uh, Chris Carson looks as strong as ever. I mean, that guy is really, really solid. And at this point in stage during practice, you, you, he hasn't been able to flash. But in the in the little things that you look for, or that I would look for, uh, he looks just as strong as ever with his hands, with in the receiving game, uh, making decisions with his with his. Uh, uh, his running ability. So Chris Carson looks to be on track and healthy, and that's very, very positive to me. Chris Carson's a guy where if I was another player, I'd be like, please don't stand too close to me. <laughs> I don't need to be next to anyone who Come is on, like Come on, bro. You're making four, me look bad. I've, or 3% right. body I, I feel like that's DK and Chris Carson. If there's anybody you don't want to stand no. by and make yourself feel bad about yourself, it's those two guys right there. Like, bro, <laughs> I'm an NFL <laughs> player. I feel pretty far. good. Until you guys come around, like, just get away from me. That's exactly how I feel. Or standing on the field today uh, when I was standing, it was Dwayne Brown, Mikey Potty, and was it DJ <laughs> Fluker? And it was, I've never felt uh, like a tiny ant until in that moment. I was like, yeah. I I might be stepped on. I don't I, know. I might I don't die. Know. I thought you I thought you fit very well with that. Crowd. Really? Yeah, I've got, I took a picture out there for for everybody. I'll I'll uh, I'll tweet it out here at some point. I thought I looked very imposing. Yes, next to them you had Dwayne Brown, Justin Britt, DJ Fluker, then you had Stacy right there. They had a couple inches in on me, size but otherwise. comparison. Yes, ferocity is, is it's very much the same. Very yes. much on the same page. <laughs> uh, Jake was doing some math in the sports pit. And uh, it all comes down to an argument about Russell Wilson. Not usually a good thing, but in this no, case... No, in this case, it's interesting. Yes. I'm looking forward to hearing about it. That's next on Seattle Sports at Night. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Jake Heaps. Yes, Stacy. All right, Ross. would you consider yourself like a math whiz? No, I would not. Uh, actually, when I when I talk about quarterback training uh, to first time uh, QB, you know my first time QB clients, I talk about that quarterback mechanics is like math problems. Playing quarterbacks like math problems. You want to keep your math equation simple. Two plus two. That's my range. That equals four. I can live in that world all day long. But the moment that you start 
you know, getting Throwing out in of a quadratic sync, formula. Right. You start you start adding to your equation and it becomes harder and harder to complete passes. For me, I don't do well in those situations. I'm not good at algebra. I'm not good at geometry. So, you know, I, I, I do well in my limited roles in math. But this situation, however, I, you, is very clear. Just so you guys know, and my story of math would just be that I copied all of my high school homework from my friend Amy. So that's mine. <laughs> like, you're like, I was a quarterback, and when I'm coaching, I do this. And I'm like, same. Um <laughs> So that you guys know, a little peek behind the curtain, uh, Jake and I are, you know, kind of planning for the show, talking about some things that are piquing our interest. And uh, Jake is looking at the uh, NFL's top 100 players countdown. And I just, he kind of gets quiet. And then I just hear him kind of under his breath, like, okay, 575, 800 clicking of like a like a calculator and i'm like what is happening over here but then you explained it to me and i thought oh that's actually pretty interesting well yeah i mean it took me probably longer than most to get this figured out but but the point is that you 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 ended up making a point about the list yes i feel pretty good about so here's the thing russell wilson okay on the top nfl top 100 I, i one i don't really find this list very credible uh, you know, a lot a lot of people make a big deal out of this list, but Russell Wilson come, came in last year at uh, number eleven on the list, which you know I think is is a pretty good honor. It's 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 a good place to be. You know, top ten. He's this is definitely from in that comp- yeah, twenty seventeen. Um, and well, they they go by the year later, so twenty eighteen ranking okay. off of the twenty seventeen season. This year, Russell comes in at twenty five when the year before he was at eleven, and and to me, I'm like. Wait well, my second. initial question was, okay, so who got bumped up, right? Like how many other players just kind of pushed themselves into the top 10 to where sure. some of these other stalwarts got kind of pushed back? Sure, and, and obviously Patrick Mahomes is going to be one of those guys and very deservedly. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to su- see who ends up in that top 15, top 10 range. But to me, when you look at Russell Wilson and you look at what he did last year, let me just give you the stats on this. In 2017, he ranked 11th, and in that year, he threw for a little bit above 3,900 yards. He threw for 34 touchdowns and 11 interceptions at a 61.3 per completion percent rate and QBR at 95.4. Pretty good year, I would say. Yeah. Right? In 2018, he came in at 25th, Stacy. But yet he throws for Why are you yelling at me? 30, 30, a little little less than 3,500 yards, yeah. 35 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. So his touchdown-to-interception ratio is way better, threw for more touchdowns, yeah. at a 65.6% completion percentage, way better than 61. I think it was 61. a career low in touchdown-interception now, percentage. Now get this, QBR 110.9. 110.9 compared to 95.4. So his efficiency, his efficiency is off the charts, and he did that with 126 less pass attempts, Stacy. So to me, last year, he clearly, clearly had the better year in 2017. So to me, it's not necessarily like Russell isn't getting enough credit for this and that and what he's doing. To me, it's the narrative. It's the narrative of what is great quarterback play. Is it throwing for a bunch of yards? And blowing up the stat sheet, or is it about being efficient and, and getting your getting your team in the end zone and playing at an extremely efficient rate? And to me, Russell did that last year and played an MVP type of season, but didn't have the yards to compete with like the Patrick Mahomes of the world and those types of things. 
I just don't think that that makes him less of a quarterback in, in terms of the rankings. To me, it's even more impressive. So if you're looking at it then, you're saying, you know, I've looked at these two seasons, and I understand that other guys are going to pop into the top 10, top 15, and that guys are always going to get pushed back, and that a lot of guys are going to be somewhat unhappy with their ranking, or right. that their fans are. That's probably more the case, is that fans are going to look at it and say, oh, my, this guy should be higher. Yeah. But I think you make a fair point that, even objectively speaking, it it is weird that if the only difference is that there was less yardage this season, then it does seem like just kind of this like single metric that this list looks at. And I think, too, even when you look outside of a stat sheet, you look at uh, what a player means for a team, Mm -hmm. his value to a team, that didn't go down. If anything, it went up. Yeah, in 2017, they went went 9-7. and This last year, they went 11-5. and Like, to me, that's... All those things just led to a better year in a year where this team was supposed to be, right? Stacey, this team was supposed to be 4-12. and you know, compared to the national media. So in terms of the year Russell had and what he meant to that team. And, and expectations. Right, the overall production. I mean, it, it, it speaks for itself. So I wonder what the narrative is. And when we come back to these conversations about Russ not being in the top five and the top seven and the disrespect and this and that, and you, you have like little bits of snippets of guys like Kurt Warner saying, well, I like a guy who plays a little bit more traditionally to me. Mm-hmm. I like a guy in the national media to throw for a bunch of yards. To me, yards are meaningless. Yards are meaningless. It's about a touchdowns. It's about it's about your interception to touchdown ratio and how efficient you play at the position. And Russell has done that at an extremely high level. And last year he did it, uh, you know, his best season yet in all those categories. And I expect him to continue to go down that road. So here's my question: Will and and honestly, this isn't just a question stemming from this. It's a question that we could honestly get back to for the rest of this season and potentially the rest of Russell Wilson's career here in Seattle because I think the question, as long as Pete Carroll is here, is always going to linger, which is will Russell Wilson ever be seen as a top, even like two quarterback, as long as he's in an offense that's seen as a run-first offense? Like if, if Russell Wilson – Tops 4,000 yards maybe once more in his career. Yeah. What does that do for a national perspective? And I know people listening will say, like, a national perspective doesn't care. But I think when you talk about legacy and you talk about uh, changing trends in the NFL, I think Mm -hmm. a lot of that stuff matters. For sure. It does matter uh, in some respects. I mean, overall, I think Russell and Pete and those guys would, and Brian Schottenheimer would give you the same answer is, I don't care about that stuff. I want to win. Right. And that ultimately is a legacy in itself. But I, I think, look, when you talk about what he's going to mean to this team and the evolution that we're about to witness here uh, with Russell Wilson, I think it is very exciting. And what that looks like in terms of pass to run ratio, we'll ultimately see what that is. But I really think you're going to see Russell, he's heading into the prime of his career. You are seeing him going to take on that level of Tom Brady, Peyton Manning at the line of scrimmage, totally owning it. And I don't think it's going to be even a debate about where Russ sits in this top mm-hmm. five category. I think he's going to be in the upper echelon of all of that. And and so I'm very excited as a Seahawk fan, knowing Russell personally, working with him personally. This guy is working as hard as he's ever worked in all facets of his game. And to me, it'll be a shame if the national media doesn't give this guy credit for performing at an extremely efficient rate and and you know, and still, regardless of, being dead last in passing attempts, 
is one is one of the leading touchdown throwers in this league compared to guys like Ben Roethlisberger who are getting like 600, almost 700 attempts compared to Russell's 425, right? So it's, it's there's a huge difference there. And as a reminder, you guys can join this conversation with us. Uh, text 710-710, the Coors Light text line. Let us know what you think from the 253 Jake. I agree with you 100%, but is it because in 2017 he had 86% or so of all offense and the rushing yards and outrushed every running back on the team and all of that. He kind of meant more to his team in 2017 than he did in 2018. Question mark, though, because I think the 253 understands that this is all kind of... Yeah, 253, it's a great point. I think you just hit it on the head in terms of a national perspective. National perspective is Russell Wilson is the entire offense. This offense doesn't function without Russell Wilson. Um, and and the, uh, the Houston Texans game was was a perfect example of that. Russell was actually 90-plus percent of the offense in that particular game, playing out of his mind. The unfortunate part of that is you don't win football games like that. And so when you have a Chris Carson, you have a Rashad Penny, a Mike Davis, that is able to take some of the load off of you and have the number one rushing attack that does not limit uh, or or take away from the fact that Russell – uh, his touchdown to interception ratio was record breaking. Right. His his QBR record breaking. Um, and and how well, and all stats that should matter exactly. And how deadly he was when the ball was in his hands when it mattered. To me, that's that stands out above everything else. And every team across the league sees that, knows that. So I don't understand why the emphasis is in the yards and not in the touchdown to interception ratio, which was better than almost everybody across the league. Yeah, like I don't. I don't think that this is just necessarily you and I having a conversation about that narrative only when it comes to this ranking, this top 100 NFL players, because how many times have we been show prepping and we said, oh, I saw this tweet from uh, this personality or I saw uh, this stat come out and this ranking come out. I think Russell Wilson is typically ranked uh, probably a bit lower than most Seahawks fans would like to see him ranked. And I look at that, and I think that even though he has shown that you can succeed despite some of those traditional metrics, the traditional box that people might put a quarterback in, it has taken eight years of his career, and Mm -hmm. it's still kind of something that that counts against him. And it's interesting because the Seahawks have been to a Super Bowl, and they won it. They went to another with Russell Wilson. And... um, you know, I know that they have yet to return to uh, an, an NFC championship game, for that yeah. matter. But yeah. uh, they've otherwise, with the exception of 2017, been a 10-win team. And it, it's just interesting to to kind of break that mold and still pop into conversations that in order to rank higher on the list. Because 253, I agree with you. I think I think that his rushing yardage factored into his ranking the year before, yeah. but it's like, so you have to be 90% of the offense to rank higher to make up for right. the lack of passing yards. And, and the other part on that is you go to last year and you tell me, does that team win 11 games without Russell Wilson? The answer is clearly no. The answer also is, can a quarterback perform the way that Russell Wilson performed with the limited passing attempts? The answer is no. When you look at the rest of the top seven uh, quarterbacks in this league, Stacy, they are volume shooters. They are like the Steph Currys of the world. They need the ball in their hands continually. And Russell Wilson is a rare breed of quarterback where he can be extremely dynamic, extremely efficient with limited touches. And so 
that's the part in his game that I think is extremely undervalued. Um, but when you look at the grand scheme of things, yes, he needs to go win the division. I mm-hmm. think that's a huge part of getting MVP consideration. Absolutely. I don't um, think you're in that conversation if you don't win your division and then go further. Correct. That That's a huge part of it. So I, I, all those things have to work for him, but I, I believe that you're going to continue to see him be extremely efficient. You're going to see him take off and go to the next level in his career. And it just is funny. When you look at that, I look at – that ranking, and I look at his numbers from the year before to this last year, and the only thing that is better from the year before, really, that matters is passing yardage. And yeah. and to me, that is insignificant compared to, Everything once again, else. completion percentage, QBR, touchdown to interception ratio. I mean, the guy played out of his mind last year, and yet people are overlooking that in a, in a way that obviously he dropped, uh, what was it, uh, 14, 11 spots or 14 spots. Yeah. So, I mean, clearly people aren't valuing, you know, that aspect of it as much. But because he was the offense on a bad offensive team two years ago, he gets he gets more credit from his peers, which is interesting. We've got about a minute left of this conversation. And, Jake, I'm sorry in advance that I'm going to ask you almost an unanswerable question. (laughs) Uh, This is inspired a text from the 206 and 206. I'm kind of taking your text and I'm going to run with it. Uh, So 206 says, Russ is a dark horse NFC MVP candidate. If the Hawks win the division and his numbers go up 10 to 15 percent with big plays and the same efficiency. uh, Here's my question. If all of that happens, but he doesn't pass for more than 4,000 yards, is he an MVP candidate? Ooh, that's a good question. I, I think that if he's around 3,800 yards and they win the division, uh, if they're around, if he's around 3,800 yards, wins the division, has a similar touchdown-to-interception ratio that he had this last year, and a QBR, I do believe that he is right there in the hunt of the MVP conversation. Is he able to overtake a Patrick Mahomes, uh, a Drew Brees that has bigger numbers than him uh, in in terms of yardage? I don't know because the fans and the national media like to reward that type of offense and that type of play. I would just hope that at some point people would would finally flip the switch and understand what's going on here and that Russell is playing a different brand of ball that not a whole, not not a lot of quarterbacks can play in this league, even the elite ones. It's a really good way to sum that up, actually. Thank you. I like that, Jake. Thank you. Coming up next, we're going to get into four down territory. Jake is answering four of my football questions. That's next on Seattle Sports at Night. This, this is four down territory on Seattle Sports at Night. You got deep, 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 deep. Welcome back. Seattle Sports at Night, time for four down territory where uh, we ask four football questions. Jake Heaps. Jake, are you ready? I am ready, Stacey. Let's get to question number one. Number one. What's been the biggest surprise to you from Seahawks training camp? I would say the biggest surprise to me so far in terms of Seahawks training camp has been, honestly, when you look at the defensive line and where they're at, and obviously you have Ziggy Ansah coming back from injury, you have Jaron Reed with his new suspension, which was a big blow. You're you're really looking at this front, and gosh, you are hoping, you are just hoping and praying that these guys really emerge, that Puna Ford just continues to build off of the season that he had last year, because in spurts, he was a monster. Jacob mm-hmm. Martin, you were hoping that we talked about okay his pressures, percentages, and Wyman terms of his really likes him. Wyman's a big fan. I'm a big fan of him in terms of the potential there. 
I just don't know if this guy can be an every-down type of player. Um, I, I do love what we've heard from him. I do love the preparation, the, the studying that he's done to his own game. And I think that's going to translate onto the field. But again, is he going to be an every-down contributor? You look at Naj Jones, who's a guy who's been wildly inconsistent during his short career here in Seattle, and now you're relying on him to make a big step forward in the absence of Jaron Reed and, and Ziggy Ansah. Rasheem Green is just a young guy. I, I, I didn't realize, Stacy. I don't know why I didn't realize this, but how young Rasheem Green is. Yeah. I mean, you see him in person, and he just looks like he's – I mean, he's just got this baby face. Well, was he uh, 20 and, when and, the Seahawks Yeah, he was him? 20 years old, and so he's got a lot of growing up to do. Uh, and, and and so he's continuing to mature and not just physically but mentally as well. And does he have it in him to really step up in this moment? Because they are sure counting on him to be a major factor into all of this. And LJ Collier, I really like the player. I think he's got a chance to be a good one. It's just going to be interesting, Stacey. What is his role going to be this year? Can he establish himself as a five technique in this league at every down? Or is he going to be more successful being a three technique pass rusher uh, in sub packages and and being an effort guy on the defensive line those are all questions that I kind of have because the thing is right now without Jaron Reed without Ziggy Ansah this group up front what their assignment should really be is yes getting after the passer and bring percentage of, of, of pass rush to uh, the quarterback but more than anything let your linebackers play let your linebackers play let Bobby Wagner KJ Wright Michael Kendricks Cody Barton, let those guys play. And what I mean by that is in the run game, do, just do your job. Don't get blown up at the line of scrimmage. Don't try and do anything extra or fancy. Just do your job and let your all pros do do their work, do what they do best, and that's make tackles in, in open space. And I think that's the biggest thing that struck me is you were looking at this group, and, man, you were counting on a lot of guys that, that – Honestly, you don't know for sure what they're going to turn into. So a lot of question marks on that defensive line for me. Question number two. Number two. Utah football's back, Jake. It is back. It's, <laughs> it's coming up here in a couple days. I know. Can't wait. What's a position battle you will be keeping an eye on? Well, obviously, I think the first thing, uh, Stacey, that you have to talk about is the quarterback battle, right? Between Jacob Hayner and I don't have to talk about Jacob anything, Jacob Eason. <laughs> well, I am, okay? <laughs> and, and I think that's the thing that you point to is in this for this team and the direction that it's going to go and this identity that this offense truly needs to establish, what is it going to be? And Jacob Hayner can do some really nice things for you. I think he can run the operation great. I think he can he can get you places. Jacob Eason is the guy, though, that can take you to the promised land. That's the difference. You don't know what the consistency factor is going to be. I know that the guy's worked hard. I know that he's put in the, the work up to this point. And really, you know, the talent speaks for itself. But what direction are they going to go? And how long are they going to continue that battle? Because, Stacey, either way... You're talking about guys that need reps. Jacob Hayner, I don't care how long he's been in this system, Stacey, or how well he knows it, he's a redshirt sophomore. He needs reps if he's going to be the guy. Jacob Eason, he was a redshirt last year, going through an offseason, going through a year, his sophomore year, Stacey, where he sat on the bench. He didn't really get a whole lot of reps. So you're talking about two guys that desperately need reps. And so for me, I think priority, again, Chris Peterson and Bush Hamden, they're not going to listen to me, but I think that whichever direction that you're going to go, you need to make it somewhat early in camp, maybe after the first week, and start getting that, whatever quarterback it is, getting that guy reps and prepping him 
so that he can perform at a high level come week one. That, to me, is key. The other thing, the other battle that I'm going to be really interested in is this receiver position. I think you have a lot of established guys there. you got Aaron Fuller. you got... Um, You've got uh, uh, Ty Jones, uh, Quentin Pounds is coming off injury, but you've got some really interesting names in Puka Nakua, uh, Trey Lowe, Chico McClatcher is also a, a guy who's been there for you, Andre Pacelli. Uh, Pacella is, has been a guy that's uh, been a really good performer, Tyrell Bynum. I mean, you've got a ton. Uh, another name, Marquis Spiker, is a guy who has drawn a lot of praise. You've got a ton of talent at that position. And now with Junior Adams, new receiver coach Junior Adams coming to the mix, what can they get out of this group? Because this is an explosive group that they just haven't been able to get much out of, Stacey, just just being speaking honestly. So if they want to be a a national contender mm-hmm. and they want to win the Rose Bowl this year, they have to have great quarterback play and they got to have their receivers step up and make big plays. And so to me, those are the two key positions that I'm going to be watching during camp. Question number three. Number three. Speaking of receivers, Jake, is DK Metcalf as good as advertised? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know how else to put it, but DK Metcalf is as good as advertised. I think that's that's good if, enough. If if we're talking about Julio Jones All Pro level, I don't know if I would go that far yet. He's still a rookie. I think there's a lot of questions to be answered, but so far from what I've seen from DK Metcalf. I don't know how you can walk away and have a whole bunch of negatives about this guy. To me, it's only been positive. He's come in. He's worked extremely hard. He's worked as a pro. He hasn't acted like a rookie whatsoever. He's absorbed this playbook at an extremely fast rate. And when you talk about his route running, which has been widely critiqued all through the draft process, all through the offseason, people cannot wait to critique his routes. He's just fine, guys. Like DK is just fine. And, and yeah, they're looking for chinks in the armor. But to me, the biggest thing that I watched from DK that I absolutely love is kind of some questions that I had in OTAs was watching him when the ball is in the air, he was more waiting for the ball to come down to him. And he was in good position. He was making catches. But at some point, it's like, are you going to go high point that thing? Mm-hmm. For as big and as strong as you are, can you high point the football? And do you have a natural knack of it? Well, the last two days in, in training camp, you know what he's done? Red zone fade ball, high-pointing the ball against Trey Flowers and fighting him like a grown, grown freaking man and <laughs> taking that ball all the way to the ground and using strong hands. And that's what you love to see out of a guy like DK Metcalf. And and if you're going to have a, a a guy come in his rookie year, second-round pick, as highly touted as DK was, his side, his speed, you need to see the production in terms of his ability to finish catches and also his ability to finish routes. And I think so far, you got to love what you've seen. And I think Russell is just continuing to build more and more and more confidence with DK Metcalf as practices go on. You have to be fired up. I know I am, and I think it's going to produce great results come season time. Someone today asked me whether the DK Metcalf uh, kind of conversation was just overhyped or whether like whether it was just a Seattle thing, what the deal with it was. And I, I think my answer that I said at the time that hours later, I think I still believe, is that any huge receiver is going to get that attention, no matter what team he goes to, but that this specifically is a team that really wanted Jimmy Graham to work out and didn't really get what they were looking for and haven't had a receiver like that. But I think the DK Metcalf would be causing a stir no matter what team he was at. Yeah, without it. Right? No, for I sure. I think so. For sure. Question number four. Number four. Jake, 
Is the second area as bad as advertised? We're doing a little twist here. Do you like how I twisted that up? <laughs> yes. DK Metcalf. Yes. Good news. Secondary bad news. Yeah. Look, we're gonna we're gonna tee off on this come next segment, and I can't wait to dive into this. But look, to me, the secondary isn't as bad as advertised. There's a lot of questions. Don't get me wrong. You're looking for a guy like Shaq Griffin to step up. You're looking for Trey Flowers to continue to make leaps and bounds like he did throughout the entire season. He, he continued to progress he throughout the year, and you're hoping in year two he just continues to do that because he could be a very special player. Bradley McDougald is an all-pro player. He's the biggest steal on this roster right now in terms of financially. He is the biggest steal. So look, to, to me, Bradley McDougald is a guy that is holding this secondary down. You're really looking at who's going to step up in that next secondary spot. And so far, to me, it's been disappointing to see the lack of competition between Tedrick Thompson and Lano Hill because and Marquise Blair because two of those players have been hurt. Yeah. And now you bring in a guy like Deshaun Shedd who revitalizes some of that competition. And so, although there are a ton of questions, and oh, don't let me forget about the nickel cornerback spot, Nakeem King, first time playing in that role. This was such a huge conversation after the departure of Justin Coleman and then just... Yeah, just faded into the distance. Exactly. So there's a lot of questions. Don't get me wrong, Stacy, but I don't think that this group is is uh, is as big of a concern as people are talking about. I trust Pete Carroll. I trust this defense that they know how to develop, and and I think those guys are ready to to continue to progress, especially Shaq Griffin. Well, there's someone that disagrees with you, Mike really? Clay. Oh yeah, he doesn't just think, our guy, Mike Clay. I'll, I'll tell you where he has the Seahawks secondary ranked next on Seattle Sports at Night.